Good morning, Waypoint Church. We're so glad to have you with us this morning through this kind of new way of trying to connect with us as a church in light of our current circumstances. Um, when I tell you um, in, in advance that this is kind of a jerry-rigged system here, we have a mic stand looking thing with tape and my iPhone. So uh, I apologize ahead of time to, to Nathan Clendenin and Caleb Goodnight and all you other kind of video people out there. So this is what we can do at a short notice uh, right now. So sorry for those who are expecting a little bit better. Next time we're gonna ask those people to help us to do a better quality video. Waypoint Church, I know this is a weird and crazy time right now in regards to the virus and how we're meeting as a church. So this is what we're attempting to do as a way for us to stay connected, stay in the word and be encouraged by each other and by the word of God. So today we're gonna be actually in the life of Joseph continuing our series of the Pentateuch. So incredibly fitting that this is where we're in. You know, God and his timing is so good. And we're learning so much about his sovereignty as we're diving into this passage. But it's just so incredible to see that you know, he brought this passage to light in, this, in the timing of our Bible reading plan and the timing of our sermon series in the perfect time that we need to hear the message of Joseph, of God's covenant faithfulness, of his sovereign ways, of his plan being fulfilled. And so it's just incredible. And Eric, you, you mentioned earlier today to me about um, a really cool element of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Yeah, I was just, just sharing that. Uh, it's, it's interesting that uh, of, of all the people in Genesis that, that Moses is, is um, as, as he's unfolding the story, that the person that he gives the most attention to, the most time to, is actually Joseph. That, that he talks about Joseph more than, than any other person in, in the Genesis narrative. Um, and that as, as, as you see the story of, of Genesis unfold, you have this, this promise that, that God makes. He, he desires to partner with humanity. He desires to partner with us. And you see it. You see this. He's, he tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. He tells Noah as this new kind of Adam figure, be fruitful and multiply. And then he makes this promise with Abraham about how he's going to make him into a great nation. He's going he's gonna to multiply him. He's going to be fruitful. He's going he's gonna to give him many descendants that number more than the stars. And um, but it's not, it's not until the Joseph story, it's not until Joseph's life where you actually see this, this promise starting to unfold in, in reality of, of, of Joseph. It's in, it's in the life of Joseph. You actually see it in, in Genesis 47. It says, Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. This is the first time you actually see this happening, where, where you see the, the people of Israel, this, this promise, you see it actually being fulfilled, whereas everything before it is, is just a promise. You actually see it unfold here. I find that so interesting. So the Moses, the, the author of Genesis here, is being very intentional in, in his communication to his people, saying, hey, this promise is being fulfilled, was fulfilled here, this great descent of millions right, of people yeah. of descendants happening. Yeah. But it didn't happen through this immediate, like, Boom! You have a ton of kids, right? right. How did it happen? Yeah, I mean, it happened. It happened through, uh, in a surprising way. You actually, you actually see the the trajectory of Joseph's life start by going downward. That is, that is, that it begins through suffering. It begins through through, and and you see you see some of these same threads, these same themes in Genesis being being woven throughout at the beginning of Joseph's story. This this brotherly rivalry. This uh, deception, this uh, even even desire, his brother's desire to, to kill him, um, and so he's being sl he's he's uh, sold off into slavery. He's he's in this uh, this compromising position in, in Potiphar's house, and even when Joseph does the right thing, 
as we as we would say, he does the right thing. It still it still leads to this downward spiral. That's interesting. You mentioned some of these threads, Danny. You mentioned also the, the these connections to these other threads in the Old Testament to the story of Joseph, almost as if he. It's almost kind of like he wraps it up and brings it together. Can you explain some of that? Yeah, so as I was processing it and reading commentary and just, just asking God, you know, God, what are you doing in Genesis? But looking at the beauty of how the narrative ends and seeing God's redemptive purpose through Joseph. But I, I begin to think like, okay, so they try to kill their brother because they're jealous of him, Cain and Abel. There's deception with like an animal cloth. You know, well, first of all, God covers them with animal cloth to cover their sin. But then it goes back to the time when, when uh, that Jacob was actually deceiving his father by using the, the animal skins, and then his sons deceived Jacob by using the blood of an animal and the animal skin. So you, you see these, these ties all throughout the story where there's deception, but God is continually working and redeeming these things and saying, I, I've got a plan for you. And even in their deception of Jacob, Jacob's deception of his father Isaac, even in all those things comes Joseph. And Joseph wasn't a perfect person, but he's the first one to really begin to understand God's faithfulness. And he actually makes decisions where he shows he actually trusts God. His first impulse is to trust God. And his other, his brother's first impulse is to do what they think they need to do to get the, to get the job done. And even though they know that God had made a promise to them to give them the things that that they're doing these impulsive actions to get. So that's some of the things that I've seen being weaved throughout the story. And I, I think we can really learn from this because we do the same thing. We turn from God and immediately when something happens, we, we freak out and we're like, God, I got to take this into my own hands. God, thanks for your help. Thanks for getting me here. But th this is one of those circumstances where I, I can just take it. I need to take it on my own. God, I, even though you've made a promise to me and, and you've been faithful before, I'm going to take it into my own hands. And, and this is the first time really in Genesis where we see his first impulse, especially with Potiphar's wife, is to trust God. Mm. So th those are some of the things that God taught me as I studied this narrative. Well, that's interesting that you make that statement because we can look at the life of Joseph and we see over and over again suffering and he didn't do anything wrong, yeah. right? Bad things keep happening to him. And normally like, well, bad things happen because I made bad mistakes or I made silly mistakes mm. or I'm a bad person. But no, he's nothing wrong. Maybe he was a little prideful in the beginning or naive or whatever you want to call it, but he didn't necessarily do anything wrong. What No sin necessarily led to this. And you see that it kind of correlates to Job later. But but he just kept on doing, but bad things kept on happening. So how do you keep believing? How do you keep trusting in the midst of bad things happening? And I think that that's kind of the overall message of this topic. But I also think there's little things that happened in Joseph's life that he was able to see God's covenant faithfulness. You know, so what were some of those examples? What were those things that he... Like Joseph was like, man, that had to be God. You know, like I start off, like, for example, even Reuben, his brothers wanted to kill him. They all knew they wanted to. I mean, he knew that. They knew that. They wanted to kill him. But somehow God steps in through Reuben and Reuben says, no, 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 let's not. Let's just put him in the pit for now. You know, and then that led to a, a decision to sell him off into slavery. What other examples of that happened in Joseph's life where you can hold on to be like, that was an example of God's uh, covenant faithfulness, his sovereignty, his, his working out even bad for good. Yeah, I mean, even the fact that when Reuben, it's like an Ishmaelite trader, mm. like one of Abraham, one of their cousins is going to Egypt. So they, maybe Reuben's like, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but I feel a little better that one of his cousins is right. is going to sell him. And then just the fact that he goes from, you know, basically Egyptian slave to God gives him 
God uses the things that he was good at and that, that he gave him from birth, you know, the ability to interpret dreams. God, God gave him this, even the first time his brothers struggle with him is about a dream right. that he has. And God used, so somehow, some way, God used that in his sovereignty to show him that he was going to make a plan to get him to rise mm-hmm. up to be the second in command in Egypt. And in parallels, it's setting us up for Moses because God does the same thing again. Right. And the person who's literally giving them the story is the second time God does this. When we believe that Moses wrote most of this and narrators edited it later, later, but we believe that when Moses is giving them this message of Joseph, they're seeing God's done this twice. And I think each time we see God's faithfulness to Joseph, these little things where he has a moment where he could trust God or kind of take matters into his own hands. He could have pleaded with Potiphar, hey man, I really didn't do this with your wife. But he just, he just, he says, I'm innocent. I didn't do it. He takes the penalty. He goes into prison. He has the whole cupbearer scenario. If you haven't read the narrative, I challenge you to read it. I know for many of you, you think like reading Genesis is really discouraging. There's some really, we just see God's faithfulness and finally the life of Joseph. But I, I think in that story, we, I just feel like it's at those moments when he, he can trust God or he can trust himself. He just decides to trust God's faithfulness. And he doesn't have a lot to go on. Right. He didn't have the Bible like we do. He doesn't have the resurrection. He doesn't have the exodus. He doesn't have these moments of big, big trust in God. He just has stories from his grandfather and his father. And and, and he just knows that some way, somehow, he needs to trust God. And even in his own life, he looked at the story of Reuben coming in. Mm-hmm. Even the timing of Potiphar, he was sold not to just anybody. He was sold to the captain of the royal guard. Yeah. He was placed in the position of trust. And then even then... If you really did have an affair with Potiphar's wife, he could have been killed. But instead, he was saved and placed in a prison, a political prison. And then, even in political prison, he was placed in a great position by the warden. You know, he, he saw favor and favor in the midst of suffering, divine and miraculous situations. For example, even in prison comes a cupbearer who is innocent. The royal cupbearer happens to be in prison with him. You know, so these are not just happenstance. What Joseph was learning to see in the midst of all his suffering was this was God's move. Yeah. And I think I think even to, I mean, you guys you guys hit on a lot of the, the different examples that we're seeing unfolding in Joseph's life, but but I think even to, to kind of bring it back home for a second, to bring it bring it to to us, um, I mean at least for me, I don't I don't know about you guys. I, I imagine many of us do this. We we kind of pull out this proverbial scale. And we say, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna base how many right decisions I make. I'm gonna let that determine how how faithful I am to God. Hmm. And if I'm if I'm making a lot of good decisions, and my circumstances seem to confirm that, then I'm I'm faithful. But but many of us will say, well, no, no, I'm I'm not faithful to God. I'm not faithful to God because look look at look at how I responded in this circumstance. Look at how look at how and look at how this this unfolded. But then even even Joseph's life. You know, what about him? We'd say, we, I mean, when you see what's happening, we'd say, okay, in, in the situation with Potiphar, Joseph was faithful. He was faithful there, but it didn't, it didn't lead to this, this fruitful outcome as we would think. But yeah, even in that, God, God, is working. God was putting Joseph exactly where he needed to be. And he was bringing, like, he needed, he needed to go through these circumstances and, and God's hand was, was in it all the way that, it, it, it can't just be this scale. It can't just be this this weighing. And, and, and I think we do this with ourselves. We, we say, well, 
I, I struggle. I, I, I struggle with, with my current life situations. I, I struggle with, with what's going on right now in, in our world. I struggle with the coronavirus. I struggle to, I, 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 I succumb to fear or I, I worry about my neighbor or, or, uh, or whatever. And, and we think, okay, how I judge myself in this moment is how God judges me. And we, 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 in, in essence, what we're doing is we're, we're putting ourselves in the place of God. And we think God is making these judgments about me because I'm making these judgments about me. And isn't that a common theme throughout the book of Genesis, right? Yeah. We are constantly putting ourselves in the place of God. Rather than, and not just we, but I'm talking about the whole characters, all the people in the book of Genesis. Yeah. That's what they're constantly doing. Adam and Eve, you know, they want to be, they have the knowledge of God. You know, they want to earn from themselves. You, you, you see it over and over again, even continuing the line with what Abraham did. You know, what, what he did with Sarah, instead of trusting God's promises, they're like, well, here, have the handmaiden. You know, then over and over again, we see examples of people saying, okay, God, I trust you, but I kind of need to be God, right? And we see that theme over, and we see in Joseph, though, and something beautiful, one of these beautiful passages is that in the end of Joseph, chapter 50, it literally says here, um, so then you don't be afraid, uh, wait, where does it say that? Verse 20. Verse 20. Right, verse 19. Yes. Oh, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Mm-hmm. And I love that. Even when Joseph's interpreting dreams throughout this whole, uh, early in his, his story, he's, he's always says, I don't interpret dreams. God interprets these dreams. Okay. And he's been given this, he's just this constant kind of trust in, in who God is. And this is something that if we can learn anything in regards to good times or bad times, is do we trust? You know, my wife and I have a joke right now that um, Gina's mother, she calls herself like, I, she's a very competent, intelligent woman and she always kind of like by nature says I can do it I need to accomplish I just need to work harder because she that's what she's done her whole life she's almost seems to work harder and you get good results and so she calls herself Jacob you know she calls herself Gina and Jacob here we joke about that's how we kind of kind of confront each other and as a Gina are you being Jacob right now and then she laughs at me and goes well Lawrence you're like Peter because you get really excited about something that you don't finish I'm like yeah that's right <laughs> so I'm like all right so she calls me Peter I call her Jacob and we have this kind of this idea though this but Gina says I don't think that's coming to just Jesus, all of us, is that we try to be God all the time. And not just with accomplishing and doing, but pretty much the way we look at ourselves, the way we judge ourselves, like you were talking about, we try to be yeah. God. Yeah. We do it in the way we try to provide for ourselves. We do it in the way we don't rest and trust in Him. And then we want to take away from His sovereignty. Yeah. And the thing that I want, we want all of you to see is that Joseph isn't a story, again, of a hero that we're to replicate. God is the hero. Think about the narrative. Like, here's some of the things that we learned from this. Is, yeah, a good guy does something good at the end. Praise God. And and (laughs) as God's covenant and as his promises and as his word infiltrates his people, we will make wise decisions. We will walk in his spirit. We will do these things. But in the end, it's God doing the work. It's God using his people. But... But think about this. So Jacob, the deceiver, whose name has changed from Israel, act, literally sees his son raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. Abraham kind of sees this, but it, it, it happens so fast. Jacob thinks his son is dead. Yeah. And he is risen. He is, mm-hmm. he is resurrected. And this is a foreshadowing of Christ. We know that God, God finally does this in Christ, and we, and we see that. So that's one of the things that we see, that, that Jacob makes mistakes and, and God redeems it, that his son Joseph is alive. But another way we see God as the hero in the story is, is Judah. Like, a lot of people miss the Judah narrative that's being weaved through. Like, Judah's the one who continually makes bad decisions, but Judah's the one who gets the blessing. J- Jacob bypasses a couple firstborn sons to give the blessing to Judah. 
And I know it's been said in all the Waypoint small groups, hey, why, why didn't Jesus come through Joseph? Because Joseph's the good guy. You know, Joseph's the guy that we want on the list, but that's not God's plan. God's covenant faithfulness was that it wouldn't be among the first sons, but it would be among the, the first wife. And God had a plan for Judah. And through that plan, Judah actually gets restored through the story. There's a moment where Joseph uh, kind of tricks his brothers. And he, he, he puts this little, t- puts them to the test. He says, oh, so you have a younger brother. He knows that if his dad favored Joseph, now his dad favors this younger brother, Benjamin. Mm-hmm. So he kind of has this little trick with them. So he's like to Judah, and he, he's kind of like, if you, if, you, um, if you actually really say what you say, then you'll bring your brother to me. Now they could have been like, you know what? That's my half brother. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw sit, him on the bus. Yeah, I'm gonna throw him on the bus. Yeah, like I threw yeah. Joseph under the bus. So Joseph is testing them, and Judah actually doesn't. Judah actually follows through. Judah, God earlier in the narrative, God begins to change Judah. Now he's not a great person in the end, but God uses Judah, and he becomes the child of blessing. Where we get David, and where we get Jesus. So. So you can see that, again, Moses is trying to say, Joseph's a good guy. We're, make good decisions. Like, it's better to make wise decisions than not. It's better to trust God than not. But it's God's covenant faithfulness that's mm-hmm. weaving through this whole story. So that's one thing we want you guys to really to really get from the Joseph narrative. And that's the beautiful thing. God is the hero. In the book of Genesis, that's over and over again. It's not these heroes of the faith. It's not the hall of faith that's necessarily that we're just saying, these guys are awesome. These guys are incredible. It's God is the hero over and over and again. And I think with that mentality, with that understanding, can we actually try to even express this idea of confidence in who God is and how to live life in the midst of weird and troubling circumstances? You know, the statement that Joseph makes in the end of Genesis, he says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good and to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I often struggle with this story. I mean, gosh, could I survive if my brothers hated me and threw me into slavery? Could I survive being falsely accused and placed in jail? You know, would I be, would my heart be content? Could I still trust God? You know, and the only way possible in the midst of hardship, hardship and struggling is that do you really see God as a hero? Do you see him as sovereign? Do you see that all that he's doing in the midst of how hard it is, that he's doing something? Right? So how, how do you see that? How, do, how, can you, how can you see that flushed out in your own life or in the life of Joseph even for yourself? Like in the midst of facing difficult situations, how do you trust God? Yeah, I think, I think again, as, as we've been talking about this, it, it's, it really is it's, it's surprising that you, you get to the end of Genesis and you see you see Joseph's response being, don't be afraid, I, am I in the place of God? Mm. Um, to ask that question, because because from, from Adam and Eve on, you see people trying to grasp the place of God. You see them trying to take it for their own. And so for Joseph to ask that question, I mean, it, 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 jo- Joseph is important because he's, he's a foretaste. He's, He's a foretaste of, of what we're waiting for in Jesus. That's right. um, and, and we see the same kind of posture. Jesus takes the same posture. He says, am I in the place of God? And we think, he, who, who, has, who, who if, if not Jesus, has the right to take for his own the, the place of God? But, but yet Jesus humbles himself. That's right. That's he, he approaches this with humility. And, and so I think, I think for us, it, it, is, it is being able to say, God, I need to let you be God in my life. That I, 
there, there are circumstances outside of my control. I, 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 think it, I think in part it does mean recognizing your limitations. And, say, and I'm not saying that Jesus is limited. I'm, I'm saying that he, Jesus willingly submitted to the will of the Father because he saw the will of the Father as good and he wanted it. That's he good. wanted the will of the Father to be accomplished. And I think I think we should we should have that kind of posture in our own lives. We should we should ask the Spirit to be producing that that posture of humility in our own lives and saying, God, I am not God. I don't know. In in a, in a world of uncertainty and, and chaos and, and anxiousness, I don't know the outcomes of this. But my faith is is not built on seeing my my kingdom built now. It's in trusting that you are building your kingdom in the future. And, and my faith is in that. My faith is in what God is producing in me now and what he's going to fulfill in, in, in completion uh, through the finished work of his son. He's, he's going he's gonna to inaugurate all of these things one day. Mm. And so I, whether in life or in death, I can move forward knowing that God holds me and that there's nothing that can separate me from that. And there's one other fascinating thing that we might miss. The author of Hebrews kind of alludes to this. It's, he says, by faith, Joseph, when his and was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Mm. You think that the author of Hebrews, you think that he would say, by faith, Joseph trusted God with Potiphar and his wife. By faith, he made wise actions toward his brother. By faith, he stored up stuff during the famine. But if the author of Hebrews really focuses on the bones and, and the, this promise. And you, you might miss this in the narrative, but the, the word for coffin the, and the word for ark, like the ark of the covenant, are the same word in Hebrew. And literally, they carry his bones around so they can bury it back in. So when they're wandering in the, in the wilderness, Moses is giving them the story, they still have the bones of, of Joseph. And they're carrying around the ark of the living God with the, the dead bones. The coffin and the ark are side by side. And then they finally bury the bones. But the ark of the living God still still stands. So there's there's just the, the beauty of God's covenant blessing in this. The author of Hebrews really wants us to see that this is about God. The faith that Joseph has isn't in just him making wise decisions. It's just that he knew that the, the ultimate goal was this land that God promised to Abraham. And that's where the faith came. Like not the wise decisions were, were the faithful living that God allowed him. But but Joseph, why the author of Hebrews brings this up is because he really wants to point us to the idea that our ultimately is we, we look back to the covenant blessings of God. And that leads us into our final thing uh, today. One of our, we actually asked a few of our Waypoint people as we've been processing this stuff. And, and one of our ministry leaders who owns a small business and he, he, we were just asking him, how do you feel? You know, cause you have employees and, and there's a lot of uncertainty and he has younger employers and older employers. And he, he's just connected to a lot of people in the, in the Durham community and, and he, God laid upon his heart some, some things that we want all of you guys to, to think about as we look at the story of Joseph and then we also think through the, uh, just the current reality. So yeah. I'm going to pass it on I to I mean, Mars one of the messages us. that we see fitting in with what uh, one of my ministry leaders mentioned is, well, this idea is that the life as we know it, the life of comfort that we often experience in America, life of seeking our own pleasure, our own comfort, our own needs being met, is not guaranteed in the Bible and not guaranteed anywhere in life. It's not guaranteed because we're a Christian or because we're people of promise that we're going to have wealth and prosperity and good health all the time. We see it in our own lives and amongst our friends. We see people with poor health and we see difficult situations. And I think it's hard as American Christians sometimes to make that understanding. But as we look at the life of Joseph, he was not guaranteed that. He was sold into slavery. He was falsely imprisoned. 
You know, we need to make sure that we understand that the life as we experience it now sometimes isn't guaranteed. And the one thing that is guaranteed, though, is what 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 Joseph held on to was this idea of his bones being trapped, sent and buried in the wilderness. Was the idea that he was guaranteed land. He was guaranteed the promises of God of land and blessing of descendants. Really, he was guaranteed a kingdom. He was guaranteed a promise of a coming kingdom, a restoration of the land, a restoring of creation the way it's supposed to be, and a rule and reign of a sovereign God, a sovereign king. You know, and that's what that's what he was that's what he was pointing. That's what he was believing and trusting. And that's what we, as we see at the coming of Jesus, we see through the death and the resurrection, the inauguration of that kingdom. So we have a foretaste of that of that kingdom. That's what we believe in. That's what we hold true to. Say so we're guaranteed that kingdom come. You know, so that's what we hold on to in the midst of that. In Hebrews four, so I challenge all of you to go back and read Hebrews four verses one through uh, thirteen. And this ends with the famous passage about the word of God is living and active. But it's it's about the rest that they've got, but they didn't get. And ultimately, we get that rest in Christ. But even the author of Hebrews is saying, just like they were striving for this rest that they never got, we're in a similar boat. We got the rest in Christ, but there's still another rest that we're going to get one day. And that's where Joseph's ultimate confidence was in this rest that he would get one day. And even for us, like, yes, America, we're glad to live in a blessed place. We're glad that our economy is going well. We're glad that we don't have to worry like some of our refugee brothers and sisters who who think about war and they're, they're living in stress all the time. We want everyone to be blessed now. We want everyone everywhere to have a safe house, have a dignity and, and a job and ways to, for their family to thrive. But we know that because of the brokenness, because of the sinfulness, God is working through all this. But that we, we can get rest now. But if, if we make the present rest our, our goal, we'll never be satisfied. We have, because we have to help alleviate some of this suffering and, and be there for other people. Because we know that the ultimate rest will come when Christ comes back. And I love that you say that because that leads us to our second point. That we know that we're not an ultimate rest now. We have a taste of that. So we realize in the midst of our world now that we know that there are vulnerable people, people who are struggling. So in the midst of that, we see Joseph here talking about seven years of prosperity, saving up for that seven years of famine, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe what's happening and what has happened is maybe God has given us prosperous times so that we can be here for those who are in vulnerable times. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that like, possibility? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, I think it is possible. I think it, I think that God could be could be doing that. That. Uh, but but I think I think too it's it's also remembering in light of in light of what we're going through now that we we are all we're all vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I mean we're, there's there's a there's a humanness to this like that we we share in that that we we are not our own that we belong fully to God and and yes well there there's a sense in which which our circumstances make us vulnerable but but then at the same time. Uh, we we hold out hope that, that God is God is holding us, and so there's security, there's vulnerableness, and there's security all in one. And yeah, God God has I think He's He's given us resources. We, he's called us to steward what He's He's given us, and and so we should we should feel compelled because of how God has treated us so generously with with His resources to 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 deal the same way with with those around us to to love our neighbors as ourselves to. Um, to love our neighbors as, as God loves them and cares for them, and, and to um, to just to just see, we're we're not trying to build up storehouses for ourselves. We're we're trying to be wise stewards of, of God's kingdom, and, and we want to see that uh, to be poured out to to our neighbors who who are in need, especially in in, 
in times like today. Yeah. Yeah. And we can be reminded that God is at work during this difficult time. And we can be reminded, this is what our brother, the who kind of gave us some of the, he wrote this in, you know, just, and we can be reminded that God is in the move, yeah. even amongst this terrible tragedy. So final words for Waypoint Church, Pastor Lawrence, yeah, and, was, and a prayer. I think it's very intentional that God used a, a guy sold into slavery, hated by his brothers, moved him to another country so he can save millions. You know, I just love that sovereignty of God and the way he's going. I don't know what's happening right now. I don't know what, what's going on in the world. It's crazy. It feels uncertain. But I trust that it, the solid rock that we stand on is that God is sovereign. God is his providence is good over this world, and he's doing something. So we trust in his kingdom advancing. We trust in the coming rest that is ours. And so our trust is not in ourselves, but it's in our hero. It's in the hero of the Bible. It's in the creator of the universe who holds all things together. Waypoint Church, I know this is a difficult time, but we ask you to learn how to trust in this God, see him as our hero, and also to seek out the vulnerable because he's given you seasons of blessing. Danny? Okay. Eric, can you read that? Oh, yeah. Read the, this will be our benediction from the passage in Hebrews right after the, talking about the rest. Immediately the author of Hebrews goes into the idea of this great high priest that we have in Christ. And we, wanna, we, we want this to be the benediction for this morning's time. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Waypoint Church, we love you. We're praying for you. And may we go forth, even in the midst of separate times in our body as a body of believers, when we continue to reach uh, the triangle of each nations. God bless you guys. Amen.